Welcome to Everything Co-op, bringing you information on how cooperatives can help improve your quality of life. This show is being sponsored by the National Co-op Bank, NCB. The NCB is dedicated to strengthening communities nationwide for the delivery of banking and financial services for the nation's cooperatives, their members, and other socially responsible organizations. For more information on the power of community ownership, visit ncb.coop. That's ncb.coop. Now stay tuned for your host, Vernon Oaks. Good morning, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks. Welcome to Everything Co-op. You know, I've been traveling a lot this summer, uh, going to different places, visiting different cooperatives, and talking to people all up and down the East Coast. It's been a great, great summer. Back in studio this morning, and on the phone with us is N.W. Nin. Nin, W. Nin. Good morning, Nin. Good morning, Vernon. Great to be on. Nan. Is that how you pronounce it? Okay. Nin. Nin. Okay. So, Nin, welcome, and you're the Executive Director of Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, COFED. What? is COFED? COFED is Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, and we are a national nonprofit that started in 2011, and we provide young people of color with tools, training, and resources to practice cooperative values and economics for collective liberation through food and land. Well, that's a mouthful. Young people, (laughs) people of color, okay, to get equality and food justice, understand economics through food and land. Yes. Basically, if you're a young person of color and you're interested in doing something with food justice or land justice in your community and you want to get together with your friends or your community or your campus and do something about it and work cooperatively, then you can come to COFED and we can help you um, get that set up with tools and trainings and resources. And how do they get a hold of COFED? Well, we're on social media, so you can find us on Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And you can also go to our website, which is cofed.coop. So that's C-O-F-E-D, period, C-O-O-P. Cofed.coop, C-O-F-E-D dot C-O-O-P, if you are a young person. And then I'm I'm 71, but I'm a young person. So if you're a young person (laughs) and you want to... And you want to know about food justice or land justice, and particularly if you're on campus. How many campuses are, have you been working with? Uh, over, so we started in 2011, and it's 2018 now. So over the course of the past seven years or so, we've worked with as many as 60 different campuses. Um, right now, we are in relationship with about two dozen. So you're in a relationship with about 24 campuses right now. Um, yes. Uh, I went on your webpage, and I see that you've University of Maryland. We're in, around in this area, we're in the Washington, D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. Have you worked with folks here in this area? Yes, absolutely. Uh, so the University of Maryland College Park has an amazing um, cooperative um, kind of grocery store slash sandwich shop called the Maryland Food Collective. They have an amazing anarchist and anti-capitalist history that goes back to the 1970s. And we've had a couple of teams from 
Maryland Food Collective come to the Summer Co-op Academy, which we host each year. Wait a minute, that's and the Summer Class Academy? The Summer Co-op Academy. Okay, Summer Co-op Academy. Okay. Mm-hmm. So, so the University of Maryland had a couple groups come to that each year. Yes, yes. And we've also worked with Maryland Food Collective to um, work on some of their financial sustainability. Okay. How did you get into this? So pretty easily, I think. So I first learned about COFED in 2011. At that time, I was 23, and I was asked to join their strategic planning process as an advisor. Um, COFED was just getting started at that time. And what really pulled me in was the opportunity to build a cooperative food movement with other young people. I had been doing food justice work since I was 17 um, as a high school student and as a college student. When I graduated college, I knew I wanted to work on food justice and at that time was working for national organization that was part of an international movement for a sustainable food. And in college, I had also majored in political economy and international studies, mostly because I was pretty critical of capitalism and its global impact. So when I heard about COFED, it seemed to bring together two things I was really passionate about, food justice and alternative economics. And also around that time, I think, um, just to give context of what was going on around the founding of COFED, the second U.S. social forum had just happened in Detroit the year before, in 2010. I didn't go to that one, but I had gone to the first one in Atlanta in 2007, and Occupy Wall Street had just started, you know, in, in September of that year, around that time. So I was pretty ready to throw down and build another world that, you know, okay. uh, I, I did attend some of the meetings, um, but no, but uh, I looked at it up just to kind of highlight what was going on at that time and, and the energy of that time. And I think a lot of the spirit of how COFA was founded was was influenced by that or, or, or kind of part of the, cut from the same cloth. So I've heard about you young folk that are against capitalism. And it seems like co-ops are just a natural sort of place to go to. I've been doing this program now for five years. And I often ask the question of why hasn't it been more? Because of all of the benefits of co-ops, and they've been around for the co-op principles were, I think, 1844, some 1800s in England, in Europe, rather, right, right outside of England. So they've been around for a long time, and why hasn't it been more? And it's sort of, particularly in the U.S., and it seems like in some places in the world, there's the co-ops are more prevalent than they are here in the U.S. And it seems to be sort of natural. So I'm glad to finally contact somebody that's young and that has found the co-op world, and you call it alternative economics and food justice. Hmm. Like it, love it. So you've been working on 60 campuses. Uh, well, tell me a little bit about this degree first, this political, what did you call your degree within what? Political what? An international something? Political economy. What is that? <laughs> uh, that's a great question. So um, it's basically a mix of political science and economy and seeing how the two influence each other and really should be thought of as um, uh, under under one uh, 
reason I chose political economy as my major was, uh, like I said, I was critical of capitalism, and I was hanging out with a bunch of people who were into feminist studies and or critical race studies or uh, ethnic studies or environmental studies, and I took a bunch of classes in, in those areas as well. But I was really interested in understanding how people on kind of the other side of the argument or people who are pro-capitalist would think or talk about the issues and wanted to be able to converse in a way that could um, build a bridge or, or possibly some understanding between folks who had a deep commitment to undoing and transforming systemic injustices and oppression and also folks who were building the economy and building our political infrastructure and landscape that affects um, all of us. So that, that's how I chose my major. And it, it was, it, yeah, it was a pretty unique major. It's not often offered in other colleges mm-hmm. or universities. I think the two are pretty separate. You can major in economics or you can major in political science, but bringing the two together was pretty unique. And then my concentration was in international studies. So I was interested in the impact of capitalism or different political and economic systems globally and not just here in the U.S. because all of it is interrelated. Well, it's fascinating. When I got my MBA, we studied economics. I don't even remember studying politics or political science as a class, but it's through this program and studying the cooperative world, it's really clear that decisions that are made politically totally affected economics. And I've seen it more that way than the economy affecting the politics. Hmm. Well, I guess with Citizen United, you have it where wealthy people will by politicians or they pay for them to win and then therefore the politicians will create policies that help them and the politics then help a certain group of people. It's for the people but for a small group of people (laughs) the one percenters and that's unfortunate. But anyway I've seen that how politics and economics work hand in hand mostly politics influencing economics. Uh, How did you learn about the co-op world then in in this study of political economy and international studies. How did you get into the co-op world? That's a a great question. And and I think how you framed it earlier, like finding the co-op world, is is kind of how it was. Even though I was studying political economy in, in college, there was only one class called neoliberalism and its critics that was critical of capitalism or the mainstream and, and dominant economic system. And I I loved that class. And I didn't really have a chance to learn about co-ops otherwise. And there was a food co-op down the the road from my college. There were housing co-ops on campus. Uh, I had at that time also been a a member of REI, which is a consumer co-op. But I never learned about co-ops in class, really, until I studied abroad. So I spent a year on this year-long program called Rethinking Globalization, and it went to Tanzania, Mexico, New Zealand, and India. And that was when I first kind of experienced what a co-op was. So there were seaweed farming co-ops in Tanzania that were fighting against some of the mega corporations that were trolling up the oceans 
you know, in, in the Indian Ocean and causing climate disaster. Then there were cotton co-ops in India, and so folks uh, growing organic cotton, weaving it, making it to fabric. Um, that was part of the Swadeshi moment. Uh, sorry, the Swadeshi movement during India's fight for independence. We also learned about cooperative strategies that Maori folks, the indigenous folks of Aotearoa or New Zealand were using to kind of resist globalization and kind of the takeover of their control over natural resources and their land. No, we're going to have to take our first break. This is exciting. I'm glad that you found co-ops. And I said it particularly that way because I didn't find out about co-ops until I started managing. I do housing management. That's property management what I do. And that's just where I got introduced to to the co-op world, and I've, I've fallen in love with it and out of love with capitalism. And we'll talk about that on the other side of the break. We'll be right back. National Co-op Bank is sponsoring this program to give you information about co-ops. As we were just talking to Nan, most people don't know about co-ops, so we want to let you know about co-ops, let you know about the benefits of co-ops so that you may go out and start your own co-op or find a co-op to to join and get the benefits of this whole cooperative world. So we were talking before we took break about capitalism, and you took this class and you liked it. Neoliberalism is what you called it. What were what are some of the things that you learned about why you dislike capitalism? Yeah, <laughs> there's there's a lot. I think one is that well, on capital, so they own the resources, right, to uh, make something, right? Let's say a uh, a grocery store. Um, so they, they own the capital, they give the capital, and then anything that is generated from that food store or that grocery store uh, goes back to the owners of that capital. So the workers who are actually in the store every day or the farm workers who are, you know, picking the food, growing the food, the distributors who are driving that food over, um, maybe the folks who are processing, all of the people who are actually working in the food value chain aren't actually compensated with the fruits of their labor. And that actually goes against some of the political ideology that we have around people's right to, to own the fruits of their own labor. So I think it's a system that's kind of set up for folks who have something already to have even more at the expense of folks who, by pure lottery of birth, right, did not, were not born into having something or, or having less than 1%. This seems to be the, the age of conflict. So you go back to slavery or in Europe, you had a feudal system which came over here. You had the haves versus the have-nots. You have the the landowners, the land barons against the slave. You, you have this all the way down. And then you have the capitalists 
against the worker. So you have the laborer against the capitalist. And it seems like there's always this struggle of who gets who gets the benefit from the work that's produced, from the productivity that's produced. And why I like co-ops, and I'll just now let me ask you this. You talked about what capitalism is. What I didn't hear you say answered to me is why you dislike capitalism. Yes. Uh, where do I start? So just to have a little bit of context, I'm a 1.5 generation immigrant from Burma. My family came to the U.S. when I was four. And when I came to this country, and we, I, I grew up under the poverty line, and I had a bunch of different kind of intersecting experiences as a queer person, as an immigrant, as a person of color. And it seems almost intuitive. I, I understood from a very early age that there were deep injustices in the world. And I spent my entire life basically challenging systems of oppression that either I was facing and confronting or systems of oppression that my friends and my community was confronting. So I didn't learn about capitalism per se until I went to college and it became the name of this larger system and this way of thinking and, in fact, even a culture that seemed to be at the root of a lot of the problems that I had experienced in my own personal life and that my community was experiencing as well. So, for example, my parents were are brilliant and speak multiple languages and are literate in multiple languages. When they came here, uh, they found work as a restaurant as a restaurant dishwasher. So my mm-hmm. mother washed dishes in Chinese restaurants for 20 years and was paid about $4 an hour for about 20 years uh, without any health care, without any vacation time, really, and worked six days a week. Um, my mother had found work in um, a sweatshop for some time when we first came. She also was a domestic worker, She held a bunch of minimum wage jobs, so she was a library clerk, she was a cashier, she did uh, customer service, So, and I saw how hard my parents worked, and, um, you know, while raising two children, my sister and me, and they didn't really see the benefits of their hard work, and they worked really, really hard, and so I knew something about that wasn't right, and I think... Uh, learning about capitalism just gave me um, kind of the language and framework to think about some of the systemic issues. And and I think there's a way that capitalism also compounds, right, or or might even be at the root of many other systems of oppression, right, like colonization or patriarchy, white supremacy. These things are all kind of um, interrelated. And so in a capitalist world where we're not really taking care of each other, right, and where there there's one very clear line of exploitation, actually multiple lines, right? You're exploiting workers, so you're exploiting people and communities, and, but you're also exploiting the earth. There's this idea under capitalism that nature and Mother Earth is for commodification and that you can own something like land, you can own something like the ocean, you can own uh, living beings, you can own animals or mountains and, and mine it uh, and without without restriction, right? Like these are all kind of materials, you know, inputs that go into your system. So, yeah, I, I think it was intuitive for me through my lived experience to, to understand that capitalism was not a good thing. <laughs> okay. so it wasn't kind of a, a wake-up call, like, oh, capitalism is bad. It was just, 
oh, all of these things are bad for us as people, and here's one of the root causes, and it's capitalism. You said that so well. Thank you. I'm glad I asked you that question. I, uh, Growing up in the South in the 50s and the 60s as an African-American male, I experienced uh, racism, uh, capitalism at the, at the root of it. My father worked on a railroad as a miner. I mean, as a, he worked on a railroad, and my grandfather worked in the mines. My mother went back to school because she was not working with six kids, and then she went back to school and got a degree and started teaching. And our whole family education was preached, get an education, get an education, get an education, for a whole lot of reasons. And one was that the white man could not take that from you. They couldn't take that knowledge from you. But it, they did not talk about so much of what you can do with knowledge and get the knowledge and how you can expand your view, as you did in college, of what capitalism is and how it functions. Now, capitalism is very, very good in the sense that it helps some people, <laughs> okay, but and that's the one percenters, the two percenters, the ones that really have money, the ones that have capital. That's what capitalism helps, and it doesn't help the rest of us. As a matter of fact, it exploits you using your term you use. It ex- it exploits the laborers, it exploits the masses of people, and co-ops just the opposite. So, what did you find about co-ops that what made you really delve into delve into and wanted teach other people, particularly young people and people of color, is what you said earlier. What made you get into What's What's so exciting about this co-op world that you like? So for me, co-ops are basically groups of people who make decisions democratically and own something together that benefits them and their community. So it's a pretty basic concept. It's like getting together with your friends to solve an issue that you're facing collectively and then to potentially make a livelihood out of it, right? Or, or find some way to um, resource one another so that you can live in the way that you want to live. And like you said, I, I also in my immigrant family had uh, was, was told that you need to have an education, right? But when I got to college, I was surprised that the education that I was receiving wasn't actually relevant to me fully or helping me or my community get free and end oppression. Um, sophomore year, I actually considered dropping out because I was reading too many words from dead white men, and I didn't feel that there was a way for me to actually take action on it. And it, it's actually kind of confusing, I think, for students. Um, at least it was for me to be in school to have all of the tools to deconstruct ideas, to understand ideas, and being actively told that as a young person, I had the power to change the world. However, I'm curious why, if I was about, if I was supposed to change the world, why I wasn't taught about co-ops or solidarity economics in school. So it really excites me that um, an organization like CoFed that we can exist because. We are a national network and movement of young people who are building co-ops for food justice and a more just and sustainable and, and local economy. And what keeps me doing the work, actually, is knowing that there are young people out there, students of color out there, and young people of color in general who are fed up with capitalism and other systemic injustices and really ready to build a world and economy that actually benefits them. And it's really easy to do. You know, it just starts with a conversation with you and your friends about what the need is, what you all want to do coming together. And 
You can actually apply to our Summer Co-op Academy. So if you're a young person out there who is listening in and you're um, excited to do something, you can go on our website. You can apply for our Summer Co-op Academy. And We've got to take our second break, and we'll come back. Nin, we'll come right back. Thank you. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. It's sponsored by the National Cooperative Bank. NCB's mission is to support and be an advocate for America's cooperatives and their members, especially in low-income communities, by providing innovative financial and related services. And they do a wonderful job. And today we have Nin W. Nin, who came to the U.S. from Burma. Her parents brought her over here when she was five. Went to college and found out about co-ops when she traveled the world, going to Tanzania, Mexico, New Zealand, and India. Found out about co-ops. And really, through life experiences in America, knew that there was something wrong with our capitalistic society and studied political economy and international studies. And then when she found out about co-op, she's working as an executive director of the Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, COFED. And they help young people, young people of color, to start food co-ops and other co-ops. It's an absolute pleasure talking to you today. You're brightening up my day here. You're brightening up my week, my month, my year. So you you learn about co-ops. Oh, I, I like the quote you said when you were in college, you were studying books by dead white men, and they weren't teaching you <laughs> what you needed to know. <laughs> I wrote that quote down. Okay. And they told you you can change the world but didn't give you the tools like co-ops that would help That's you right. work together to uh, change co-ops. So right before we left... I want you to go back and give your web page and tell folks out there how they can get a hold to you, particularly if you're high school or student, young person, and you really want to know about co-ops and you want to learn about it. Uh, web page is what again? The web page is cofed.coop. So that's C-O-F-E-D dot C-O-O-P. Cofed. And your summer program Summer Cooperative Classes. Tell us tell yes. about that again. Yes, the Summer Co-op Academy. So this is a beautiful vision for young people coming across the U.S. Um, we actually also have folks coming from Canada sometimes to just gather and learn about co-ops together, to talk about co-ops together. And for anyone who thinks that this might be something they want to do, we have this every year. The space is incredibly inclusive and open and welcoming, and um, you can apply. The application is is pretty simple. And just to highlight the types of co-ops and and folks and teams that are coming to the academy, um, last year we had a team from Fresno, California. So they they were 17 and 19, respectively. They were students at Fresno City College, which is a community college, and even though they're enrolled in school, they are actually thinking about a community co-op that is going to serve their community because they're going to college in the community and the neighborhood where they grew up. 
So there isn't for them a separation between their campus community and the, and their community, um, which you might see sometimes in some you know some campuses. Mm-hmm. And they're looking to build a movement of young people to bring organic and healthy food to their community, which is so critical and and so necessary, um, especially because in Fresno it's a farming community. So a lot of their parents or or their community members are working in agriculture. They're working in ranching, uh, maybe some processing. They're working in the food system, and yet they don't have access to organic food. And because a lot of the agriculture that's happening in that area is conventional agriculture, they're also dealing with pesticides and runoff and water pollution. So they, as young people, as 17 and 19-year-olds, are trying to build this movement of young people raising awareness of this issue. And so they're coming to the Summer Co-op Academy and getting the resources and taking it back. And this year was the second year that they came, and uh, we hope that they'll keep coming. And and that's kind of the type of relationship we want to have with the co-ops and the young people that we are supporting. And I also want to highlight one one other um, co-op that uh, is really amazing. Um, so it's a women of color owned co-op that is working on um, marijuana justice. So they're they're a weed co-op, and uh, the women are 23 to you know 26. And what's really amazing about them is they're entering the green rush or this industry, right? That is benefiting mostly white people who have not been impacted by the racist war on drugs and. They're reclaiming this whitewashed industry. You know, when you think about um, the weed dispensaries and marijuana dispensaries that are out there, um, most of them actually, uh, the overwhelming uh, majority, maybe 95, 99, there there really isn't a a study out there, but just from what people are seeing, um, it's an incredibly whitewashed industry um, that was used to criminalize black and brown folks um, for, for generations, right? So this is kind of incredible that women of color, young women of color, are actually coming together to form their own co-op around this and, and make sure that the the industry that, you know, has affected their communities so negatively um, is now something that can be reclaimed and uh, rebuilt into something that generates wealth for them and their community. What part of the world are they in? Their co-op is based in New York and also California. So they have members in both states, and um, a lot of the work they've been doing is in New York, but they're expanding to California soon. Well, just I want to make sure I summarize what I heard you say, which I understand. I Growing up in the 50s and 60s, I was introduced to marijuana in college. I found out I was a little different from Clinton. As I, I inhaled it, and my brain wouldn't work with it, so I didn't go down that road but a lot of my friends did and I have three nephews that were in jail at certain times because of the marijuana industry and one great nephew so we black and browns got in jail for with high sentences uh, I have one nephew has been in jail already 20 years for distribution and some of the other things that he did while he was distributing he was out of Detroit so we got in jail, and if you were Lorton at the time, this was at the, the center here. When you when I'd go down there to visit another nephew, it was just a sea of black young black men, just a sea. And every now and then, I think I saw one white person when I would go down to visit. Uh, some Hispanics, but most, and only one gray black man. <laughs> they were all young. So now that they 
legalize marijuana, the people that are distributing and dispensing and making the money are white people. And that's what you call whitewash. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. <laughs> I got it. Mm-hmm. I got it. I got it. They're making the money off of it legally. So they figured out a way of making money off of it. They legalize it. And then they they take it. Now, I've, I've had a friend in California that applied for a black group and a friend in Maryland that applied. Uh, and th- neither one of them got the application. Neither one of them got the license to grow and dispense mm-hmm. it. Okay. So you got this group that's, that's looking in there for the co-op. To go after now, I I would like for you to tell us some other f- examples. We've got the Fresno group. We got this women of color. The Fresno group is organic and healthy foods. The women of color is marijuana. They're they're co-ops, and they come to the summer co-op academy to get the tools and the technology of how you start and operate a co-op. Right, that's what you're right. all doing. Okay. So can you right. give us another example or two of what who are the types of people that come up, the students, where they're from, and what kinds of, of co-ops? And before you do that, there are four types of co-ops for those of you out there that may not have heard this before. Four basic types. One is if it's, it depends on who owns and controls the co-op. If it's owned and controlled by the employees, it's called a worker-owned co-op. And so that could be any type of business you think about. If it's owned and controlled by the employees. If it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the services the products or the service that's created in that business is called a consumer cooperative. And that's credit unions are consumer cooperatives, uh, housing co-ops. There's a consumer uh, health clinic in Madison, Wisconsin. So if it's owned and controlled by the people that uses the services, it's a consumer co-op. And then you've got purchasing co-ops. Those are people that come together to uh, use their resources to buy things. And this. 60s, and then in the South, when black farmers were trying to vote, whites would not sell them gas. So they created a co-op and bought a truck, put their funds together, bought a truck, and went across state line, got their gas, and came back so they could they could farm. So that's a purchasing co-op. They come together. They, and a lot of farmers use purchasing co-ops to come together and figure out best seed and fertilizers and different things. And then uh, farmers uh, are now also come together to do marketing co-ops. And Lando Lakes, uh, Ocean, Ocean Air, was it Cranberry Juice? That those companies, they're they are examples of uh, marketing co-ops. Farmers come together, put their products in. Now artists are beginning to do this too. Then they're forming purchasing co-ops and marketing co-ops to come together and put their resources together. And if they're making making art, then they'll come together and have warehouses where they can have studios. And then they also can come together and do uh, storefronts to sell their products. So what are a couple other examples of co-ops that you all have been working with that come to the Summer Academy? Are you working with year-round? You said there are about 24, about two dozen you're working with, and you've worked with about 60 throughout your seven years of history. Right. So currently we're consulting with a group called the Flaming Eggplant. It's a student-run cooperative cafe at the Evergreen State College, which is located on occupied Nisqually and Squatchin land in Olympia, Washington. 
and they they've come to the summer academy um, this year. So yeah, they came to the summer academy this year, and we're also working with them on their orient orientation week training. So this is the week that students come in, and new worker members of the cooperative cafe will learn about how the cafe works and a little bit about what co-ops are, the the history of co-ops, why the Flaming A Plan is a co-op. So specifically. Um, supporting them on accountability, relationship building, nonviolent communication. And what's cool about the Flaming Eggplant is they have a dedicated advisor who is paid by the administration to just support the cooperative cafe. And um, that advisor is an alumni of the Flaming Eggplant, which is really great. And this makes a lot of difference if you are going to start a co-op on your campus um, because you have somebody who is dedicated and committed to helping to connect your experiences as a student working in the co-op with clear learning outcomes. And I think that's something that is a benefit to having a co-op on your campus is that you actually learn a lot. So students are learning how to run a business, they're learning how to work together, communicate well, how to keep yourself and your teammates accountable, and also how to consider the social impact of your business, right? Are you sourcing ethically or are you sourcing from farmers of color? Are you sourcing from vendors that pay their workers well or are cooperatives themselves. So these are all kind of highly transferable skills and knowledge sets that are necessary for building an alternative economy, um, a new economy or a solidarity economy. And so that's one of the co-ops that we have a long-standing relationship with. Actually, one of COFED's um, early founders and organizers is also uh, alumni of the Flaming A Clan, and they're still around at COFED today. There's also the Oberlin, um, uh, the Third World Co-op, which is a dining co-op in Oberlin College. It was founded in 1993, and that's an intentional, safer space for primarily people of color and also folks from low-income backgrounds. And their name comes from the Third World Liberation Front, which is a coalition of student organizations mm -hmm. for black, Latino, and Asian students. Man, um, that man, was... We've got to take our final break. I'm sorry, we'll oh, come no. back. Yeah. Okay. We'll take our final break. We have another 12 minutes on the other side of it, and I want to come back and talk about this Food World Co-op. We'll be right back. Please don't touch that dial. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM. Welcome back, everybody. This is Vernon Oaks, and the program is Everything Cooperative. We have Nen on the phone with us, who is the executive director of the Food Empowerment Directive, the Cooperative Food Empowerment Directive, which is COFED. And if you wanted to find them, you can go to their webpage, which is cofed.coop, C-O-F-E-D dot C-O-O-P. And you were talking about the Food World Cooperative when we took our break, Nen. Uh, can you tell us more about that? Yes. Uh, so the Third World Co-op. 
And their name comes from the Third World Liberation Front, which was a coalition of student organizations for Black, Latino, and Asian students at San Francisco State University that was formed in 1968 to demand campus reform, including the addition of ethnic studies to the school's uh, curriculum. And so what's amazing about this co-op, Third World Co-op, is that it's not just providing great food for a community, um, it's, also in, uh, it's also connecting students to a history of solidarity and collective liberation that um, goes beyond, right, traces back uh, before 1993 when the co-op was founded to the 60s and, and 70s where there was uh, a lot of um, solidarity movements um, that connected folks from uh, the Third World, right, so... Uh, or, or the Global South, as some people might think about it. And Dominique, who actually runs COFET's program, is, uh, COFET's programs is an alumni of the Third World Co-op, and so that's our relationship with them. And so it's actually kind of great to see students who are coming out of these cooperative experiences on campus join COFET's team or join COFET's network and, um, and continue to uh, share what they know and, and help other students um, and other young people kind of find, find their way through the cooperative world. Okay. And I can give one more example that okay. actually comes out of our uh, racial justice fellowship. So we have a racial justice fellowship where we give $5,000 to a young person of color who is working on some type of innovative and holistic solution that um, will advance racial justice and community ownership in the food system. And each year, the Racial Justice Fellows also attend the Summer Co-op Academy. So there's um, a great kind of learning community. There might be college students and campus-based co-ops, and there could be community-based co-ops led by young people of color. And then you have the Racial Justice Fellows as well in the mix. And one of the Racial Justice Fellows this year is working on a, a queer and Latinx and, and woman-owned uh, farming co-op in Chicago called Catatumbo Cooperative Farm. And so what is it, what's that name again? What is that name again? Catatumbo, C-A-T-A-T-U-M-B-O, Catatumbo Cooperative Farm. And so they're working on food justice, right, bringing uh, healthy, culturally appropriate herbs and foods to their community, and they're also embedded within the immigrant, um, the Latinx immigrant community in Chicago. And so we'll be partnering with folks in the area around uh, workers' justice or against deportations and for immigrant justice. And so we're seeing young people use co-ops to address a whole variety of um, community needs and address uh, systemic, different types of systemic injustices that they're experiencing in their lives, um, not just uh, lack of access to quality food. Or poverty or racism or whatever it is, no, no jobs. So the the first right. the first month we were on, which was October five years ago, a guy from Senegal, Papa Sen, said that co-ops are formed to solve community problems. If there's no community problem, there's no need for a cooperative. And uh, everything that you're talking about that young people are finding is what he just said: is that co-ops are a way of solving whatever the problem is and coming together and bringing resources and skills and knowledge together to work through and solve those problems. Neat. I want to change the subject a little bit, and let's go to the values of and principles of co-ops. 
I have that co-ops are based on the values of self-help, self-responsibility, democracy, equality, equity, and solidarity. And in the tradition of the founders of cooperatives, co-op members believe in the ethical values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, and my favorite is caring for one another. So do Mm -hmm. you all use these values in your working with young people? Now, we we actually have our own set of values that we use at CoFed, um, and we also encourage co-ops to kind of decide for themselves what resonates. So we do teach about cooperative principles and values and what folks have done before, but we invite people to innovate and kind of riff off them. And so for us, we're guided by the values of cooperation, joy, love, accountability, and impact. And um, I I just want to stress joy and love because these are things that aren't talked about usually when you think about co-ops or it can seem sometimes technical or um, I think there's a lot of, uh, still a lot of need to kind of demystify what co-ops are and how um, easy it is actually to get involved, right? Because it is simply a group of people coming together to solve a community problem that they're all facing. And, And there's a lot of joy in the work, there's a lot of love in the work and so those are those are kind of um, additions I think that we want to be able to add to the, the conversation around cooperatives. And you know, to me, I, I get it. And caring for one another, and that's why it's my favorite. That's where joy and love to me comes in, uh, and also the social responsibility, not caring for people, then caring for uh, the earth, as you say. And what I like about, I see, I don't remember which organization, but they theirs was that. That, that co-ops were for people, planet, and profit in that order, where capitalism is for profit, profit, and profit, <laughs> it seems. Mm. Okay. Mm-hmm. And that's the three, and uh, I gave a presentation where I said there's a fourth P, and that is politics, and that's exactly what you you talk about in your political e- e- uh, economy major. It's people, planet, profit, politics. Uh, four P's that, that we need to be concerned about within these these value systems. And then there's the cooperative principles, which I don't want to go through, but I really wanted to get, I wanted to understand what your, the values that you are working under, because I really, it would be great if our politicians worked under values of honesty, openness, social responsibility, caring for one another, joy and love. That would be great. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that would mm-hmm. be absolutely great. So do you love what you do? Yeah. Uh, yes. Um, you know, I took a break, um, in 20, I think it was 2016, no, 2015, 2016. Um, I actually had to leave the U S for, for some time because it just wasn't working, you know, and I need to kind of reset and understand what was happening in, in this country. And when I came back, I was, uh, really influenced by some of the struggles and movements that I had seen um, around the world that were fighting for indigenous rights, uh, women's rights, workers' rights, and environmental rights, um, or, or the rights of Mother Earth and the planet, and looking for a space that would allow me to be part of uh, decolonizing education. And so what I mean by that is a type of education that is not set up to serve um, the status quo, right? So many times people are taught in school, right, from K to 12, and then if you go on to college, you're also taught that the way to be successful in this country or, or maybe even in the world is 
to be able uh, to get a job, right, within capitalism, right, and you just kind of keep your head down and you uh, keep doing um, what your boss tells you to do, right, and, and that to me is a really colonized way of thinking about the world, and there are so many different other systems that people have set up, right, to govern themselves, to provide housing for themselves, to provide food for themselves, uh, security for themselves, to um, provide all the things they need, right, to uh, live a joyous and, and wonderful life. And um, there wasn't really a place to, you couldn't find a lot of other organizations that had that space, you know, that was this open container, right? So, yes, absolutely. Um, I, I'm still invested in COFED after, you know, seven years because I think there's something magical about the cooperative movement and there's something magical about working with young people who are so bright and so smart and um, really open to just questioning and unlearning the status quo, right, um, who are not tied into these uh, systems so much yet, right, and are, are willing to kind of question how we can do things better, how can we do things in a more loving way, how can we do things more joyfully, how can we do something that really feels true and, and liberatory for us, right, and, and how are we going to get free together, right? Um, so, yeah, it's it's definitely work that is um, that feeds, <laughs> that, that feeds me every day. Wonderful. Wonderful. We've got a minute left, so that was a great way of ending it. But do you have anything else you want to leave for folks? Any any other comments? Yeah, I would just say that anyone can be a cooperator. I know that sometimes it can sound daunting or, or scary, but if you're a young person, if without a, a degree or with a degree or in college or not college and you want to start a co-op, Seriously, just reach out. We're happy to have a conversation. We're happy to answer questions, and we'll make it happen together. And they reach out by going to your webpage? Yes. Uh, you can reach out, again, by going to cofed.coop. So that's C-O-F-E-D dot C-O-O-P. When is your summer academy next this next year? I assume we missed it'll, that one. It'll be in July or early August of next year, and... Um, if you come onto our website now and you sign up for our email list or uh, follow us on social media, you'll be able to find out about the applications for we're, both the Summer Co-op Academy and the Racial Justice Fellowship. And, and remember that fellowship is paid. Okay, we're going. Thank you so much, Nan. It's an absolute pleasure. Everybody have a great week and live cooperatively. Washington, D.C.'s News Talk, 1450 AM, WOS, and 95.9 FM.